Hello, and welcome back to the Age of Empires Definitive History Podcast, uh, the show that kind of reviews the podcasts, or I guess, what am I saying? Well, this is a terrible intro. This is the worst intro I think I've ever had, um, that reviews the Age of Empires games and then looks at a little bit at the history. Uh, I'm here. My name is Robert, uh, also known as Flash on the internets, and uh, I'm joined by... Matt. Hello, I'm back. Matt is back. Uh, hopefully, we are in a better, you know, sound space. Uh, hopefully, the audio levels are a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think overall, the other episode went well. Um, but when you do so many kind of podcasts over the internet, you kind of forget that when you're in the same room, you can't talk too loud because then it picks up on the other mic. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt's nodding in agreement. Um, <laughs> I'm giving everyone the behind the scenes a little bit. Um, so what we'll be doing with this show today is we're we're gonna kind of take. Before we get the main history, I guess, where I do a bunch of research and then write way too much words and then realize it's only 30 minutes. Um, um, but hopefully you're entertained and you're intrigued by it. Before we do that, um, we're going to kind of go over uh, Greek philosophers and their philosophies and discuss them a little bit. Um, I don't think, you know, I think the one nice thing about some of the kind of more general ideas um, that you get with Greek philosophy is they're kind of like they're a little more generalized and so we don't have to get really nitpicky you know I think that might be fair to say yeah absolutely um, so so kind of Matt will will introduce some of them and uh, I'll bounce off and then hopefully we'll have some good discussions so here we go Matt we're going to start with the prehistorics right so the pre-Socratics um, oh pre-Socratics oh yes I said yeah. prehistorics but I guess pre-Socratics yeah, would pre-Socratics. be more appropriate yeah so uh, in order to understand Greek thought my professor always taught us the one who taught me Greek philosophy uh, always taught us uh, the main thing the Greeks were doing at the time was trying to understand the universe because they had been so religious and so the based around theology for so long that after the Peloponnesian and the Persian Wars, they were kind of like, uh, we need something else to look at to understand the universe. So the main idea was the universe is intelligible and rational, and by using re- reason, we can get to know it. So the so, pre- so, so, so no uh, Greek uh, you know, mythology? Yeah, What's so that? they were trying to actually get away from Greek mythology. One of the big reasons that people like Socrates were so hated by a lot of people in Greece was it was the priests and the theologians kind of being like... Um, no, we need to believe you're you're a heretic. He was literally that was what they accused of him when they when they executed him, was that he was a heretic and he was going against the old gods. Um, when the Socratics were just really trying to understand the world around them. So, the pre-Socratics they were very much intellectuals. They're very much trying to understand the world. Um, so, I'll just go over kind of briefly a few of them. Uh, the main ones they they had some pretty wild ideas. So, the main ones I really enjoyed. Uh, were people like uh, Parmenides, and he basically had this idea of the universe being completely unchangeable, and there's not no such thing as motion and constantly stable. Because in order for the Greeks to understand the universe, it had to be rational, so it had to be immutable and non-moving. But we have so little written by him that it was kind of like, it sounds like this guy is just saying nothing moves. And uh, Zeno, people like Zeno would take it even further to the point of basically saying, when you shoot an arrow, it actually doesn't move. It's just traveling at a certain distance. Or if Achilles were to run after a slower runner, if that runner were to start halfway to the finish line, who would finish first? It would still be Achilles, but in your head you would think it's the runner that finishes first. So he'd use these little, kind of these little phrases and these little kind of 
um, idioms and kind of um, almost puzzles and he kind of make make your brain kind of think about it and he'd be like see it doesn't actually move so this is proof that nothing moves but um, they very much that would be taken to kind of too literally uh, later on by other people in terms of when you got to people like the sophists who are the complete opposite of what everything philosophy was trying to achieve so people um actually if, if i can just kind of look at um so who was this this guy that said that nothing moves so nothing moves was uh it was very much um uh, parmenides parmenides so i i think that's so interesting because like is is it someone that's just uh, thinking about the world and proposing this as an yeah, argument that exactly. authentically propose that there's no such thing as motion but but is it is it something that they truly believe or is it just something that they're throwing out just to exactly with, you and know? we don't know because of the few texts we have right like the pre-socratics the problem is like they did have kind of some of their ideas written down some of them just wrote stories other ones had kind of ideas some of them were kind of more famous like pythagoras is one of them mm-hmm. who believed everything was numbers um he's kind of i mean no wonder everyone like in math likes him eh? yeah well he was a mathematician and he kind of looked at the world as uh the world is made of forms so this idea of forms which we can touch upon more when you go into plato yeah let's wait for plato to really go into that one the people who started were the pre-socratics because they had this idea of okay well what makes up what is the building blocks that make up the universe so people like pythagoras thought it was numbers and then he discovered there's such things as rational numbers which actually split the school of thought around him so you had the scientific ones that were like, yeah, we can make sense of this, that there are rational numbers. Because you can physically count because them. Because you can right? physically count them. Mm-hmm. And then you had the theological side of the students who lost their mind saying, no, the universe is rational. If there's such thing as irrational numbers, then you can't actually have a rational universe. And they killed them because they're the ones who end up actually stabbing him to death. Pythagoras, Pythagoras. Pythagoras died in a boat stabbed to death by his students with their pens because there, he because he, he said there was irrational, irrational numbers interesting yeah. which is which is very much kind of the greek thought it, it if you look at it there was there was so much kind of confusion around what was going on in terms of like at a historical level i'm sure you understand it better than i do um but like from the peloponnesians even when we saw an age of empire the peloponnesian wars had such a huge impact because it was the wars between the spartans and the greeks right is the we're we're fighting among ourselves amongst ourselves and there's rebellion and it's like it they have we're trying to make sense of the world after the fact because they're like well obviously our gods didn't do so great to actually protect us right um and so it's interesting because the pre-socratics are all like scrambling to find ideas so like uh another one um which was kind of brought up is the idea of having a single element instead of multiple elements. So like, for example, Anaximenes, instead of saying there's four elements, he wanted the idea that there's just air. So, so, the, so the, like, just, just to kind of, um, I guess, walk back a little bit here. Yeah. So that they, the, the, uh, the good old, uh, fire, earth, water. Er, fire, water, earth, air. Yeah. yeah. So he basically brought it all down to air and he said, Oh, there's different particles of air that make up water and fire, mm-hmm. et cetera. Some people would say wind, like, and to the opposite effect of saying there is no such thing as motion, there are people like Heraclitus who basically said everything is flowing, everything is in flux, everything is in motion. There's no such thing as non-motion, which, I mean, nowadays, nowadays, <laughs> if you think exactly, if you think about Einstein's relativity, right, or even, or even, or even uh, what's it called, uh, going to that subatomic level, yeah. of, 
and yeah it's pretty wild because we can actually kind of put that in um i know there's some pre-socratics can't remember who who even started thinking about atoms and saying oh there's only one thing that is the building blocks of everything and people were like no that, that doesn't make any sense well to, to to be fair to those people at that point there was no exactly. even like imagination of how to prove that as exactly a... right yeah and like other people would talk about things like a pyron and a pyron uh is basically the first idea of form or this indefinite form with the four elements mm -hmm. so he talks about the indefinite which some greeks would talk about chaos okay and the idea of that the world was made of nothing and, and this apyron was made into the four elements or made into the universe um and this idea that there's the indefinite and the definite and in order to have a rational universe it has to be definite so that made the, the indefinite was somehow made into the definite so what I will say, kind of just just looking at the pre-Socratics, um, pre pre do you know how popular they would have been at their time? Um, see, that's the thing. We have a hard time kind of knowing because there's a few of them. A few of them were kind of their own schools of thought, so it was very kind of self-contained. It really, really, at, at the core level of it, I think because we have so little about them, it, it I mean, probably from a historical perspective, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. We covered very little on it when in school we very much had this as the building blocks of what brought people like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle kind of to the forefront. Um, they were definitely not as big as them. Mm -hmm. well, this is an so, interesting part too, because if, if you think about it, I think um, a lot of times, I'm sure these prehistorics, uh, pre-Socratic, I'm oh, sorry, I keep saying pre, I guess prehistoric is, or ancient history is not necessarily false, because it, no, it, really. it is in that time, pre but pre-Socratic because it denotes the people who were, before I guess, Socrates. talking about ideas and these, these ideas before Socrates. Yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting to think that many in many ways, their lives and I guess their importance within their life or the importance of what they did within their lives, sometimes like the ideas that they kind of brought up with are the stuff that's remembered now, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, um, mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but oh. I know uh, people like Socrates definitely had the influence because he does talk about them like slightly in some of his... His text, I say his text, Socrates couldn't read or write. Um, so, uh, but he was very much influenced by these schools of thoughts. And then people like Pythagoras, we still use the Pythagorean theorem to this day, which was developed by Pythagoras. Because it works. <laughs> because it works. Yeah. Um, but the mathematicians, and a lot of these guys were into geometry and, and math. So they very much did influence math to the point that we still use it to this day. So it's, but that's the thing is that pi is an irrational number. And that's exactly what the Greeks couldn't understand in terms from a theological perspective because the world wasn't rational. Because it was a number that worked with circles in, and exactly. in so many cases. And yet, and yet as a number, as a thing that exists within the world, it couldn't just be quantified. Exactly. Right? There's no quantification. It's irrational, which mm -hmm. is the whole idea of irrationality right um maybe this is a good point to kind of get into socrates so yeah and this is where i think socrates was <sighs> socrates is very much misunderstood in terms of at the time he was in uh because it's there's so many different viewpoints on him in terms of within plato's works because one first first things first socrates didn't write a thing he couldn't read he couldn't write um he was a peripatetic philosopher meaning he kind of walked around and he discussed uh, he's probably the most sober alcoholic in the world because he literally drank in each one of his texts. You'll read the text and he go, everybody goes to bed and he's still drinking and they get up in the morning and he's still drinking. So he's the most sober alcoholic you've ever met in your life. He drank himself sober. Um, 
he's he's pretty he's pretty much one of those people who uh, was questioning everything and uh, like I think even to this day people who question philosophers especially are not really well liked in a lot of circles because it makes people question themselves and people don't like questioning themselves so so, so yeah this might be actually a good point to kind of bring that that whole idea up because um, I think nowadays there's a lot of like the school of thought of skepticism is I think more predominant especially yeah. um, in in you know, I the the proverbial West. The proverbial say. West. Um, <laughs> the 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 all-encompassing capital W. Um, mm-hmm. But but I I think it is interesting to think about how nowadays like people questioning is almost commonplace. Like it's mm-hmm. um, and you can you can you can maybe attribute this to um, Enlightenment era thinkers or or kind of this predominant notion of the individual. So if you are a truly individual, you are forced to question everything because you. You want to at the same time, you know, well, you don't want to be part of a group, right? There's kind of like yeah. a push to that. Um, I think a lot of people in their lives will push for individualism, but also realize that there's definitely a sense or, or something there behind like like a group and a culture and a, and mm-hmm. a thing that they, they if they go too far into individualism or, you know, we're at the, at the bottom of it, we're still social creatures at yep. some point or another, right? And so belonging to a group is still really important to us. And I think that's a constant struggle people have. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, maybe. Yeah, um, like from a social perspective, it's interesting because uh, even at a school, like the idea of scholasticism in school, which would come later, uh, they still use the Socratic method in schools. And in terms of having the individuality versus kind of uh, mass sheep mentality, I'll call it. Uh, that's kind of what school's trying to do is trying to educate people and kind of help them think for themselves, which was what Socrates was trying to do is make people think. That, that would be the uh, <laughs> idealistic form, shall we say? Yeah, that's the ideal. <laughs> However, the irony is that it makes more people into sheep than well. Not. It, it is a question, right? Because because yeah. I mean, you think you think of um, the school system, and um, there has been arguments that like uh, you know, if 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 you are very much a skeptic or a cynic, you can say. Oh, this was just based off of getting people to be used to working in factories. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and you know, you you can you can say what you want about the, um, I guess usefulness or maybe the the. The percentage, um, I'm thinking of of like, how how efficient it is mm-hmm. per se, right? Like if you're like, I want I have this goal whatever it is, maybe it's to like have people find their way and find a career that inspires them and go towards that career and make a living. Like maybe yeah. that's the goal, right? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a modern thing. I think once scholasticism came out during the medieval period, it was just the monks trying to educate people how to read and write. That's all mm-hmm. it really was. It was trying to teach people. And this is where academies were a thing in Greece. And the, the idea of academies teaching uh, just philosophical methods or even just how to ra- be rational Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really what really puts Greek philosophy aside at the beginning was that they were trying to teach people how to do this. That's mm-hmm. what the whole school, the whole idea of these schools of thoughts was Learn that they teach were, you how to, to teach you how to question. And yeah. Socrates, Socrates was great because all Socrates said, he said, I, I only know one thing. And that thing is that I know nothing. And that, and that he was literally just trying to understand the world as it was by questioning everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's constantly questioning in each and every single one, like one of them, in one of the his works, he goes to everybody from a blacksmith all the way to like a lawyer, uh, and to like a sophist of the time, and question makes them question everything. Um, and I think that 
he was just trying to understand and to know himself just like on uh the oracle of or that's delphi the temple of delphi it's written across in bold letters that says know thyself that's really what the Greek philosophers, especially Socrates, were trying to do, is they're trying to help people know themselves and know the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy Socrates just because he's so he's so quick on his feet mm-hmm. that he's able to respond to pretty much anything people talk to about. Well, I mean, if you're just asking questions based off it, I think it's probably easier. Well, yeah, than exactly. Actually thinking for yourself. Cough, but at cough. the same time, <laughs> at the same time, you need to have a rational mind to be able to do that. No, of course. Okay. Most people would just start blindly agreeing with whatever the other person is saying, right? So um, yeah, I guess I guess his in some ways his biggest, biggest quality is his ability to be um, disagreeable. You know what I yeah. mean? Because like I think if you don't have a Socrates, then. Um, then people will maybe stick with the status quo more often, right? Yeah. And, and he is definitely, maybe for that reason, more than anything, a figure that people are, like, look to, and they're like, you know, like, this is how you kind of find yourself, and people kind of figure it out, because mm-hmm. they question everything, right? Um, well, I feel like as 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 we get kind of more into modern philosophy, and, you know, like, um, there's, there's a lot of... Um, I always fear that if someone like gets too much into questioning everything that they become, they tend to become more negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and nihilism is a, nihilism is a big and, thing, and yeah. those kind of ideas, which I guess like in this time, they would have like, if you look at ancient Greek philosophy, they're not really talking about that. Right. Like no. it's more just, he's questioning with the status quo and it is what it is. Um, I did. Yeah. I was always think I'm like curious how someone who their mind is already set on, on, kind of viewing things in negative fashion mm-hmm. um how they might react to be like oh okay well let me just question everything right because then sometimes it just leads to 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 apathy or nihilism shall we say um and so i'm always curious about like because when i when i took soccer i'm like oh my goodness like that's so cool like he kind of he's like he's by himself he's he's like <laughs> he's kind of taken on a little bit of what people are thinking and be like no challenge yourself right mm-hmm. why 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 right um and you know, speaking of the school system, right? Like a lot of kids will ask why, but yeah. na- nowadays, more often than not, they're shut down. Yeah. Um, it is, and it's because it is. It is because yeah. it is um, because I don't have time to explain to exactly. you exactly every time, right? And it's it's tough too because you don't you don't want it like especially with kids you don't want to actually take their um, sense of curiosity and have them lose that, um, but at the same time. Uh, you know, like when you're teaching a class of 30, 40 students, whatever it is, right? Like you, you, you don't have the time in a day and you also have the requirements of whatever the school board, the, the, the province, the state, the country, whatever it is, right. Of what you have to get done within the year. And so you're moving along, but like, and in many ways, like, you know, that's why people advocate smaller classes and mm-hmm. more individualized learning. And it's like, because if, if we had the resources, it just makes more sense for people to actually be able to question and discover yeah. and, and, and kind of think for themselves and see what they like, as opposed to like, this is all the crowded things I have to do, right? So. See, and I'm definitely of that school of thought because all of my classes were very small because of how my education kind of went. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at the Socratic method versus what was going on at the time, because at the time, the this idea of sophistry was very prevalent so you had people like Georges and Protagoras who basically Georges said everything is nothing all there is is nothing and you can't prove to me that there isn't anything but nothing because there's nothing else he literally and he was is this like is this like the sorry because I've taken some philosophy is this like that um 
it to me at least from what you're saying it almost sounds like that evil the, the 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 devil god argument that yes that there's a god this this devil or god whatever whatever word you're using interchangeably some some more powerful being that is tricking me so therefore whatever i see is not actually real yeah that's more of a descartesian <laughs> kind of look okay. at it but yeah he was very much a georgis and protagoras protagoras basically said man is the measure of all mm-hmm. of all things basically saying what you believe is relative because you are the measure and they would use this in court that's literally what the sophists were they were paid to argue in court your point so if you paid them enough money they would argue for you no matter what regardless of whether it was true or false so i think welcome to the lawyers <laughs> that's literally the first lawyers and that's where uh socrates was very much pushing against that because he was like well no there needs to be there needs to be truth. There needs to be something. Mm-hmm. That's why he was questioning everything. Because Cause it, if there isn't truth, then there isn't something. Exactly. Then, there's then... nothing. And that's what Georges would say. All is nothing. You know, like this idea of there is nothingness. Mm-hmm. Or the idea of Protagoras saying, man, is the measure of everything. That's very much modernity. Modernity has, has taken rationalism, I think, and thrown it out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of gone towards this subjective, relativistic society of, well, my experience is everything now. Because there's... N- because the Greeks would think either there's truth or there's your opinion. There's truth and there's opinion. There's one and the other. Mm-hmm. They're they're not interchangeable. Whereas modern day would say the only truth is opinion. Because Yes, yes, there, there is perhaps that. But I've actually found an interesting thing because, you know, you have like those random articles every so often. Like this gen is like this. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. those, um, But one thing that I found curious is that um, whether I think I don't know if it was millennial or Gen Z or. But it was it was saying something along the lines of just nowadays, um, and this this may be may have been an optimistic view, shall we say, on on that mm-hmm. on the on that notion of whether or not, um, you know, opinion versus fact and all that things, is that there, at, at least what this article was portraying. Obviously, I don't I don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be here to argue whether it's real or not, but um, that the the notion that um people are able to now be like they essentially nuance that position and say i have it's not like your personal truth is necessarily the truth mm-hmm. um right and and people can argue with their general life um but i think people are a lot also a lot more personalized as they're they are willing to allow a personal a person that they might disagree with and think is untruthful in how they live their life. They might be more willing to allow that person to um, kind of express their 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 worldview in a sense of um, like it's almost like like let's just say someone has like nationally they might think this thing right mm-hmm. you know take whatever I, I'm not gonna get into specifics but whatever big random thing people talk about when it comes to like national issues right and they might be like i'm completely you know um on a national level this is what my thoughts on this thing right and then but at the same time personally if they know someone who is against that right uh, against that thought they might accept that person more like um they might accept accept or make an exception to that person's personal view because they know them mm-hmm. and and be like no i understand this but like not like as if you're there in this relative in this very like relative generalistic argument that i'm or, or i guess discussion that i'm talking here um they're they're gonna say 
I accept what you're doing as a person on an individual level, mm-hmm. um, but I, on a national level, I'd want it this way. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's an optimistic view because it's it's assuming that everyone does that, right? Well, Which is clearly that, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clearly not the case, right? But but I think it would be cool, right? It would be cool yeah. if people were like, "This is what I think and how I think," you know, X things should be done, or they're talking mm-hmm. war, country, whatever, right? Laws. This is how I think this thing should be done, but I can make exception on an individual level to, uh, you know, to, to, to have a differing opinion and not have it make it impossible for us to talk, right? Yeah, and that's what dialogue is, right? The whole idea of dialogue um, is the idea of having two different opinions or even similar opinions, but able to actually talk freely about it with the other person without having that person automatically shut you down because it's not what they believe. And I think I think that it's definitely needed more. And I think that uh, society, I think our generation, my generation, um, is definitely starting to kind of lean towards that. Because because well, I have a feeling it's actually sometimes more the one right after. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I actually think... Um, the youngest generation. The youngest generation is having a sense of, like why are these old people bickering and why can't they have a nuanced like yeah. like you know what i mean like why can't they have a nuanced opinion as why to, is there so much division and not more unity and why yeah. is this so uh, di- dichotomized right like yeah. why is it so one and two not you know um multiple things and so like which is so interesting to me because if you were to tell me like like everyone because I, I grew up in a time where it was like okay millennials is the new generation and as all generations do they rebel or you tend to rebel with whatever the previous generation did. Yep. You do the um, opposite and the cycle continues. And the cycle continues and it is yeah. what it is. And, you know, you might be on yours, like, depending on your, uh, I guess, um, biological or, or how you grew up, you might be on a different step than other people yeah. are, um, alternating per se. Um, but it is interesting to think that, like, Gen Z will be a generation where it's like, um, you know, all of a sudden people are like, well, for instance, like, what, what's the big thing about millennials? Like, you can be whatever you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's like a common trope, right? And then because of that, you'll get trends in Gen Z where it's like, yeah, they want to be whatever they want it to be, but I want to have a good job. In a <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, We're going to go back to Industrial Revolution 2.0. Yeah, well, yeah. a little bit, a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, and just such interesting things. Yeah. Uh, man, I was hoping the podcast would go in this kind of like wherever they would yeah. go generation direction and have even last thought on that. And maybe we can back yeah. to Socrates. Um, I really think that at a, at a level of how the world, the world modernity is kind of going. Um, I really believe, and this is what Plato believed uh, at a, even at a, a national level, there's always cycles. There's always cycles of, of how, um, of, uh, political thought works it always goes in cycles and i really think that we're coming to the end of of this kind of empirical cycle of of nationalism and how it's getting to the point that we have this one unified mind kind of splitting down the middle because it really feels like it's the my way or the highway kind of uh, and i mentality. think that approach is like unlike unlike one we'll say before what it felt really generational yeah um that almost i think it's hit like it's hit this weird kind of cross where it's like people from uh 25 to 45 you know what i mean whereas 10 years ago um it would have been a different generational talk right yeah. 
but they have a very much okay we have a split we've mm-hmm. split ideologically right mm-hmm. it takes states is the easiest example yeah. i'm I'm not going to go into how I think their political system actually enforces it and doubles down on it. You mean all political systems? Uh, <laughs> well, you can say all political systems, but I'll say in the United States uniquely because it is a two-party. Like it, the two-partisan system. It's, is, it's, yeah. it's, and I'm going to go into this because we're here at this point. Sure. Um, there, there, what was it? There's a whole impeachment talks, but, but wasn't a Republican president was impeached by Republicans back in like, I don't know if it was sixties or seventies. I yeah. don't know the, and it's like, you know, does that would that ever happen now? No, because they're so partisan that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but at the same time, as we're now we're now coming to the forefront of there is a middle, and mm, the moderates yes. are, are are freaking out, and it's the moderates that don't know what to do because they're, they feel like they're stuck in the middle, and I really feel like there's there's so many more people in this. This election is going to be very interesting, I think, because there's so many people that are in the middle ground that don't know what side they're on anymore, because they because feel, because they feel everything else has gone more to exactly. the fringes. Yeah, and mm. I think that. Uh, this is where philosophy and the idea of the median, this is very much where the pendulum is starting to swing the other way. Because mm-hmm. it's the idea of uh, where Plato will talk about in order to hit, in order to hit a target, you have to, an archer has to aim above the target in order mm-hmm. to hit it. So this idea of median, this this perfection that he talks about, is you have to aim on the extremes. And society always does that. So there's always this kind of pendulum swing back towards the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's happening now. I think that we're, we're starting to realize there's so many people that are starting to realize that both quote the left quote the right both of them are so extreme there's so many extremes that the kind of the moderates don't know where they fit in anymore Mm -hmm. and i'm really interested to see how that's going to play out at a at a political level Mm -hmm. because i think you're right i think our general the youngest generation is going why can't we have unity i really don't know how the how the two-party system or our three-party system or any system that that's kind of divides people yeah our three-party uh, yeah. system with the, the block of equipping the third one right uh yeah yeah no 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 it's, it, the, the way it goes Sorry. is the block the the block the, uh, the pq the block and then the ndp right? yeah that's, that's <laughs> definitely the three-party system we live in. yeah absolutely uh man um but, canadian jokes <laughs> sorry to any quebecois listening but um i'm not learn to drive sir yeah. <laughs> uh but um, no, it's interesting because if you go from if you go from Socrates, because obviously Socrates was killed, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was killed for his thoughts because they thought Hemlock. It was too extreme. Yeah, he, I, he I was... know this because um, I was recently featured on a Rocket League's uh, YouTuber video. Like he's Ooh. pretty big. He's like has the video has like half a million views. Um, and his wife was like a history teacher, and then he was like asking her like ask him a question. It was like an interview thing. Yeah. And then she's like, "So how does Socrates eyes?" And I'm like, "I think he like drank hemlock or something." Yeah. <laughs> and I got it right. So. Yeah, he did. He basically was given the choice of either we kill you by public execution, or you can kill yourself right now with this drinking this hemlock. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an entire piece by Plato all all about that. Um, but Plato. Plato is very interesting because he's the only one who's ever written any of Socrates' work. Some people believed Socrates didn't exist and that mm-hmm. was, Plato kind of made him up. But um, Plato goes into, in the Nicomachean Ethics, he very much, or is it Aristotle in the Nicomachean Ethics? Oh, God. Uh, you, you're, my, you're on I your know, own here, bud. My brain, uh, my brain is not remembering now. But I think it's Plato. Goes if, into, if it's not, we sincerely apologize. Yeah, it is either Aristotle, Aristotle, either Plato. Aristotle or Plato. There you go. I'm sorry, I graduated five years ago. After all, good. You know what? <laughs> we're, we're we're this this episode's all about that uh, amateur philosophy. That's what's yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
And if my professor, I'm so sorry, Professor Neville, if you hear anything I'm saying right now, and uh, if, <laughs> if you're on Facebook and you have uh, seen this link, <laughs> yeah, no, it is it is Aristotle, okay, that did Nick Nick Mithian ethics. So I, I, bef- before the mm-hmm. ethics, so for Plato, Plato's known allegory is the cave. So so okay, before we get into the cave, so Socrates he questioned a lot, and technically because he questioned so much, they got fed up. With they him. got fed up with him. The whole political system was kind of like. We don't want people to question. We want people to blindly follow. Mm-hmm. And we have no control. We're going to lose control. And they literally said, you are corrupting the youth, is what they accused them of doing. <laughs> Which is kind of funny if you think about it. Well, wasn't there like a whole... Um, they were having... Uh, he was having sexual relations with a lot of the... Uh... Uh, I mean, that was just a common thing at the time. Oh, I guess was, it was. I guess was it was a very the, open society. Yeah, in that especially case. in like the Spartans. The having, Spartans, having, they had a Yeah. Having a system. Oh, no, it was it was not just that. Uh, that was the least of it. The most, more of it was we were corrupting the youth and you're putting judgment on the old gods. Well, and, so, okay. And this might be a misrepresentation of what I remember, at least, from it. Yeah. Um, but there was some Greek history um, prof that told me essentially that they use that as an excuse as oh like, yeah absolutely okay okay they absolutely you use it as, they were trying to get him killed absolutely mm-hmm. um, so they, they added this to the list of they, other exactly so they use yeah. these two things and mm-hmm. throughout the entire um the entire ordeal during the entire kind of uh trial he questions all of it and he says uh when did i ever say that you know i never actually said that <laughs> and of course at the end of it he ends up dying but uh, the idea of corrupting the youth is, of course, because they were going from this religious-minded kind of theocracy of of a world where, you know, Everything's everything by gods, is ruled by gods. And you can explain everything by saying, well, there's a god at this river, and there's a god at this other river. So if there's a flood, I guess the gods are pissed off of us. Or, you know, uh, oh, my son was struck by lightning. I guess he pissed off Zeus. Or, you know, like, oh, my wife got pregnant. I guess Zeus came down from the sky and got her pregnant. It's not the guy next door, you know. Uh, like, you know, like there's all these crazy, wild explanations for what was going on. But mm. it was because they wanted a rational world. And that's what the philosophers were kind of trying to push away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Socrates ends up dying. But Plato, obviously, he takes this idea on. So he he comes up with this he comes up with this allegory. So the allegory of the cave is the most well-known allegory that he did. He basically talks about, he says, there's a bunch of people that are imprisoned in a cave and they're all basically locked against a rock face. And all they can see is this is on the wall. There are these shadows and these shadows will come by day in and day out coming through the wall. And that's all they know. And so they kind of, they kind of come up with names for these different shadows and they say, Oh, you know, uh, that's the shadow and that's that shadow. And that's all they know. Until one day one of them escapes and he they've been locked up for years. So he comes out and he goes outside and he notices a path coming up by the cave. And he starts seeing that it's travelers that are going by the cave and it's the sun shining on mm-hmm. them that's projecting these shadows into the cave. And so he says, so one's a camel. And so, of course, from the you can't really discern it from within the cave. And once you're outside, oh, this is a camel. Oh, this is a driver that's pulling mm. the camel, etc. So he runs back in and he goes, oh, oh, you know, all these shapes and forms that we thought were the reality. Actually, they're this thing and they're that thing. And I, I want to free you so you can come see. And they kept arguing with him saying, no, no, you're mistaken. This is all there is. And he frees them and they kill him. So Plato goes about and he says, okay, we're trying to have a rational understanding of the world. So what these shadows are, they're called the forms. And the idea is that everything you see around you, like this table, for instance, in front of you, there is a perfect form of it in the heavens. And that this perfect form 
is what this is modeling. So you don't actually know the thing until you know the, know the form of the thing. So mm. it's the idea of you can't perfectly know a form until you fully have an understanding of what it is. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about it as a shadow. So it's like a cast shadow cast on the wall mm -hmm. that you can see the shadow and that's all you can really understand. Mm -hmm. But the form is kind of its supreme rational existence of it. So that's kind of a basic, very high level understanding of Plato's cave and the form. So of course the Apiron uh, that was talked about the indefinite, this is kind of the opposite of it. This idea of, of the form and being and kind of what gives this thing its thingness if you want to look at it that way mm -hmm. um aristotle will go completely the other direction well, okay let, let's <laughs> let's let's hold up just for a minute just so stay away from aristotle for a moment yeah yeah um so so yeah the, the idea of perfect because this is something i have kind of looked at even if it's like briefly very mm -hmm. briefly I have, I have my like stints with philosophy here and there it's I think philosophy is always interesting because it is worth learning about. Um, uh, but at times I think it's a abstraction means people who are just getting into it will be like, Oh, this person's really smart. This is definitely the right way to think of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the one thing I'm always wary of. Um, hence critical thinking. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, um, the Plato's like world of forms of like, there's this perfect version of everything. Shall yeah. we say, um, this idea of chairs and it kind of sits there. Um, I think the one thing that I always look at with Plato is, is, is the practicality of the yeah, philosophy. Of yeah. Um, and I think that's why people sometimes distance themselves with philosophies. Cause if your philosophy is not practical or applicable, very like reasonably, mm -hmm. then you know, then it, I guess it turns into grand theory as opposed to yeah. purposeful thinking, right? And that's where, and that's where I think a lot of the scientific mindset that came out of the Greek philosophy would be things like mathematics, because mm -hmm. mathematics, there's no, the only proof you can have of mathematics is like physically addition, subtraction, but like rational numbers, irrational numbers, mm -hmm. you can't actually prove that in reality other than trying to measure things and kind of proving it that way, right? Like the, there is still kind of an abstraction to it. But but a lot of math as well. I guess the one that you'd use kind of in real life would be a uh, is the word a priori like the would a, that make sense in the, in this a priori yeah yeah a priori um, where it's 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 because it because it makes logical sense therefore like that's yeah. that's that's a provable fact and yeah that's I guess how mathematics is born mm -hmm. based off of you know one plus one is two like one plus one does not include three I'm sorry Orwell <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> Um, but the, the, the point being that, that essentially this was something that like you take two of the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, to really back to Plato, I guess, I guess if I took a two different looking chairs, it's still two chairs. So, yeah. so there's a definitive form. So, um, what I'm essentially trying to say is that essentially Plato was making, a a function chair mm -hmm. and anything with attributes x y it's actually a computer science <laughs> well of course it is that's what what do you think you use in computer science it's all logic it's yeah, all based around no no, logic. no of course but it's so interesting how it all ties Compu together right yeah it is because it was really funny you say that because when i took my logic and rhetorics course which i did horribly in by the way um my logic course uh you actually do logic logic stuff and i was like oh this is literally like programming when i took programming in high school and that's literally all it is it's like if a then b uh, a equals b therefore c kind of thing uh, you know like yeah the reason machines don't work in the real world is because the machines are all too logical yeah 
Yeah. They're, they're... What? You're clicking on this pixel? No, no. No, no, no. That's not allowed. That, that's that is outside the parameters of what yeah. is acceptable. What is the parameters of a computer? Um, Whatever but, you give it. <laughs> exactly. But like, it, but it's interesting because even from a form perspective, there's the argument of, well, how can you actually define a thing that is, like, how can you give a definition to something and actually say that it is this and not something else? So like, for instance, the argument of, is a stool a chair or a table? Chair. <laughs> Why is it a chair? Because you can put things on it like you would a table. You can, but I think I can put things on a chair regardless. It, yeah, but you can still use the chair. It doesn't serve the purpose of a table of putting more things on it. Exactly. So like, but like what? <laughs> there's there's a Socratic argument. <laughs> exactly. But then can you, you can also sit on a table. So this. You what, can. So then what <laughs> makes it different from the chair? <laughs> The fact that I can put more stuff on it. So it's if not you had a giant chair, would that be still be a chair or it would be a table at that It would point? then serve both purposes. And then then I, therefore it's then no in longer the, either. No, no. then in Plato's world of forms, I would, I would decree that it was both. Yeah, <laughs> or neither. And that's where you get to the weird form of, is a spork or a spoon or a fork? Or is it both? Or is it neither? Or does it matter? Or does it matter? <laughs> and that's exactly why people get fed up with us philosophers because we'll start doing that and they'll kind of be like, so, okay, you're just trying to... We're wasting time argument. here, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, practicality, I think, is something underrated in mm -hmm. in a lot of discussion. Is like even even non-philosophical things like, like the... You know, like words matter like on a... Let's just say you're, you're naming a branding or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like... It matters what you name something, but is it worth, you know, discussing um, for, like, two weeks what the name should be if you have, like, 100 people deciding <laughs> on the name? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, so like, but that ha that's what happens with big business and companies, yep. right? It's like you have, like, what, if that was, like, 51 people and they need to decide, uh, you know, or whatever, whatever the partners, even if it's 20, right? 20 people in the room deciding what the name of a company should be Branding and they discuss and it for two weeks. Around. And... You know, it's not that branding, like, it's necessarily a bad thing, because especially if you have a product that's worth selling. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, is it worth your time to do that for two weeks, yep. to discuss it for two weeks, instead of, all right, 10-minute argument, let's hold the vote, you know? <laughs> well, it's like, and even looking at the difference in brandings between countries is wild. Like, if you even look at the difference of names, like, between Band-Aids here, which is literally a company name, and Plasters in the U.K., something like as as little as that right and it's just like there's all these just little differences in different cultures um so really a naming convention when it comes down to it it's actually only applicable to what their major market is because you can lose so much in translation that it's like is this actually going to sell in like china well at that point you should you should just let whoever your chinese card or whatever the representation you have in china des decide what the branding should be yeah. you know as opposed to you going and being like no you know yeah exactly <laughs> Which is which is why I think it's really funny that McDonald's is universal because it's just like what the heck do they call McDonald's in like well because Taiwan <laughs> you, you know what I think though like if you think of McDonald's branding from like a from like a branding perspective someone's like okay we're gonna put yellow and red yeah you know what I mean and we're gonna put this like Arches. silly looking clown yeah and this is gonna work. And everybody's going to think of yellow arches, think of McDonald's. In some ways, they, they defy the expectation of what a good branding is because they, yeah. they created, you know, a monster company despite the fact that, you know, if, if you were to just take it individually, you would be like, no, this is terrible branding. This like, is a horrible idea. Like, why would you put a clown as your major major feature? Everybody yeah, hates clowns. Ugly yellow red looking. <laughs> like, 
But hey, man, if I see those arches in the sky, I know no, I know yeah, that's McDonald's. You know, and that in 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 that I guess goes back to my argument of practicality. Like, yeah. uh, you know, not that McDonald's itself as a name is bad, but like, let's just say their branding they chose on it. You know, decided they probably decided when it was a really small chain, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, this is like okay, you know what I mean, like mom and pop style thing. And then they're here, you know, decades later, and everyone's like, well, you know, like they're not changing that branding, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we've we've they work they put in the work in the practice the, the I mean, I, I, you know, say what you want about McDonald's, but it is it is a phenomenon, right? Absolutely. Um, and they put in that work, so they're never gonna rebrand McDonald's. Like they might oh, no. change the M slightly, you know, but it's always those yeah. same colors. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's like, and that's what I think is really funny about things like rebranding. There's so many things that people freak out when they rebrand stuff, mm-hmm. like in games and stuff like that, and it's just like uh from a practicality perspective like you could rebrand the image of something but if everybody forgets what it is when they look at it then you're actually doing a detriment to your company well this this is this is actually big this is so funny they bring this up and i never expect to be talking about branding but um (laughs) there so the time to rebrand is when your company has a bad wrapping as bought out when it's about to be bankrupt, right? (laughs) That's when you rebrand. But if it's doing well, you don't really want, because all your, in theory, all your work previous for branding is put to waste if you do rebrand, right? So, well, yeah, best plan to rebrand. We're doing a new look on our company and this is the new things we're going to be doing. And we're not like that old company. That's actually still us, but you know, (laughs) we're like renaming but uh this yeah is not a company uh, if, if a company rebrands so many times you're like okay so like what kind of corruption is going on there yeah <laughs> how many like who actually owns this company what <laughs> yeah how, yeah how are you guys still in business what yeah. um yeah no okay so so yeah i guess i, I just want to do like quick 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 retread all mm-hmm. right i'll do like a little run now that we can get to aerosol all right so uh our pre-socratics lots of different ideas um generally it's people kind of questioning starting to question the world around trying them. to have building blocks building yeah. blocks thinking of how the world works that kind of stuff yeah. socrates just ask questions all right yeah. thinking your most annoying high school uh student in some ways um mm. but you know there's a purpose to it because yes everyone's annoyed at him but but not enough people are questioning and yeah in many ways like the 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 most interesting thing with Socrates is that in some ways he doesn't really have a philosophy because no. he never, well, yeah. his, I guess, I guess he doesn't present one. He doesn't present like this he doesn't is how have, the world is. Well, his philosophy literally is, I only know one thing and that's, I know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yes. But point being is if you think Socrates, you think lots of questioning Yeah. and um, I'm not going to presume to know anything. Yeah. Right. So that, I guess in that ways, that's, that's his, this, yeah. if you're, there's a takeaway, there's your takeaway. Plato, um, there's a perfect kind of world for everything. Um, Plato's really interesting because people like I know you've talked about. We're not going to go in depth on this to cough uh, cough conspiracy, not conspiracy theories as to whether Socrates was a real person. Um, but Plato, um, you know, is the one who wrote down all of Socrates' stuff, yeah. and then on top of it, Plato would use these stories with Socrates in them to then yeah. implement his own um, ideas. Ideas, yeah. right? So, and then the world of caves is that that perfect world, and. and um i guess if even if you think about that cave story just just so we can kind of before we go into aristotle is um he's also i guess talking about like people being open to there being a different world in that yeah. story as well right that, um, they're, they're being something beyond beyond that. what yeah. they know right so um 
Uh, and I know he has Philosopher King argument as well as that. Yeah, There's so this... the Philosopher King argument is from the Republic, and the, Repu the Republic basically talks about... I love how, like, all this can be used in both... Uh, like, all those words are used in um, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Harry yep. Potter. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah. So the Plato's Republic talks about how he basically goes to a party and argues with someone, saying, well, what is the best ruler? And they go through all these different forms. So he talks about the city and speech, and there's these five different levels uh and i can't remember most of it really really i think it's just a but puff piece and he's it, <laughs> absolutely well it's the funny thing is is that people kind of take away at the end of it he actually says uh well actually this would never work in in actuality because mm -hmm. this is just the city in speech uh and because at one point someone says the strongest person is the winner and that is what it will actually be taken later on the tyrant being the the king by people like Machiavelli. Mm -hmm. Machiavelli and later pol political philosophy will take that idea and have the tyrant king and this idea of, of is it better to be loved than uh, loved than feared? And they take it from the but Republic. But the tyrant tends to be killed. That's why I always... Yeah, no, the, but the tyrant tends to rule for the longest period of time and then the empire falls. Right. You know, and, then, and then obviously you get into the philosophy of is it better to have a tyrant or create a power vacuum where there's more exactly. chaos, right? So would you rather have a tyrant? That you mean are you talking order? about American politics and the killing in Iraq and, and something like that? You know, there, there was definitely some of that, but I mean that's not <laughs> yeah. a thing either, right? No. I think I think you know w w say what you want. I think every nation has to decide, especially when they're going to go and and disrupt the political rule of a current nation. Yeah. Um, is the alternative better, right? Yeah. And until until you have a plan in place where the alternative is better, even if there's terrible things going on, you're like, well, do I go in there? Because yeah. if I create a world that's worse, then what was the purpose of me exactly. getting rid of this terrible person? And he, in charge, talks right? about, he talks about one point about cycles and how it cycles through oligarchies and monarchies and republics, and it goes all the way around over and over and over again. And that's very much reflected in history, where you constantly will have a cycle of political power. At some point, look at even France. Oh, I was just gonna say the states right. are oligarchy anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like literally you go from an oligarchy a lot of to deep monarchy cuts in this one. to everybody kills the monarchy and it becomes you know like a republic and then an empire and then comes all the way back around full circle. So it's like, what, what was okay? And I don't. I, this might have been Aristotle, so maybe this will be a good but, jumping off point. Okay. But um, there, uh, there was this political philosophy that was like, um democracy was the best form of rule or deciding who rules if um if if you have bad rulers or like okay so let me explain so essentially there's this this kind of this kind of like three ways mm -hmm. and the, the idea was that if you have a good ruler then the best obviously is a monarchy right mm -hmm. a one person rule because it's a good person they know what they're doing right and they can affect change quickly because they're one person um, and then second behind that when a good ruler is an oligarchy there's a group of people mm -hmm. um, but they're still small enough that they can affect change and then the and if there's a good ruler the 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 worst one of good rulers would be um, democracy because even if it is a good ruler and for them in order for them to enact change it would take a long time and you know yeah. obviously there's way more voices that have to be listened to uh so if there is required faster action it takes longer right mm -hmm. but then you look at the bad if there's a bad ruler right and the idea is here that then you go, well, what's the what's the what's the best I guess type of ruling if there's a bad ruler and the best would be democracy because at the same time that in a good ruler it prevents people from 
you know, enacting quickly, it also means this bad ruler can enact bad things quickly because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole bunch of bureaucracy to get through. Yeah. Um, and then oligarchy, well, they move a little faster if they're evil, right? And then monarchy is the worst because the they yeah. have instant <laughs> power, right? Instant power, and I'm yeah. pretty sure this is based off Arist- Aristotelian I think thought. it's based on on the republic i think it's still plato oh it's still plato okay i think so i honestly don't remember that for it's it's but... either way yeah so so i think i think this might be kind of cool I, I like that fact so i just wanted to i know yeah. it was one of the greek philosophers so definitely in accordance with this podcast uh yeah but yeah um i guess aristotle what can we what can we talk so, about aristotle 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 is interesting aristotle will very much take the idea of excellence and he takes kind of what the philosophers were looking towards and he gives this idea of arte and arte is basically the perfection of human humanity and what we're striving towards. so it's almost like taking plato and taking it one step further not even because he actually talks about the forms being within the thing already that there is no forms to aim towards because there's already part of that form within so it exists as like an essence as an essence as the soul that's exactly what he talks about he's the anima on the soul is he does talk about the soul and how god Mm -hmm. is the perfect rational soul Mm -hmm. and that there's parts of there is not that there's parts of god in people but there is souls with soul within all things and that's literally the animating principle that makes that thing what it is and so the idea of at a rational level rational beings have this rationality within them basically their essence which is very very much like that rational divine rational perfect soul which is god basically Mm -hmm. or his god or his 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 deity basically that was also interesting is that um a lot of these philosophers started doing were were more singular in their idea of a Mm -hmm. greater being as opposed to the previous um you know I believe it's Plato talks about a prime mover that's moving all things, whereas uh, Aristotle takes it one step further. Than prime mover, though, is like... is definitely if you want inspiration for great sculptures and yeah. paintings, prime like someone moving this giant boulder that is the yeah. world. Oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well that's where that's the idea of like something moving all things, right, and causing mm-hmm. all change. Which, if you think everything is change, then the idea, of yeah, something yeah, animating that, prin- sizing, animating yeah. that principle. Um, but Aristotle talks about excellence and that whole idea that we're supposed to strive to be perfect. And in order to strive to be perfect, we practice rationality and, and aiming for this median. So the idea of dialectic, which later on dialectic philosophy will will be the idea of either dialectic is basically you either go to the right or you go to the left and you try to aim towards the middle. And that's where he talks about that quote I said earlier, which is when archers aim towards a mark, you aim higher. Yeah, that's so interesting because then then I think of um, is it right? Is it justifiable to be more on an extreme if you're trying to sway something? You know and, what I mean? But that's exactly what happens, mm. right? Is the whole idea of if you look at all of history as a giant dialectic, is the whole idea is you will always have pushback, and that's what tries to bring it forward towards a middle kind of balance because that's well, because and. I, even like like taking politics i think in general like what 80 percent of the people are probably a lot more in the middle moderate than yeah than perceived at any point Absolutely. in history right so yeah and i think i think back to that gen z argument i was talking about like them being more willing to um or whatever this this random you know article yeah. on the internet said was they were more willing to um to to, to kind of take people's individual choices yeah. and accept them right 
and that's a more nuanced, more moderate approach to a lot of things. And I think a lot of people are that way. Um, but it's always tough because I think what ends up happening is a lot of people that are more, oh, like, you know, you'll get conversations where you're like, oh, my goodness, like, you're so interesting how you think about things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, because I, d- I refuse to believe that any of these extremes are necessarily the right way to go about things. Um, so then on top of it, you're like, well, and, and I've argued this before. It's like, well, I guess we just need more people that are, like, so outrageously, like, so, so maybe passionate is the right word about being, like, more in the middle and not extreme like we yeah. need people that would be willing to like yell and be like no we're not gonna go to the extremes, extremes you know? yeah. we're, we're gonna keep this we're gonna make a practical decision on this um we're gonna we're gonna vote and we're gonna we're not gonna just you know uh stay i guess bipartisan shall we say yeah i think the U- U- u.s system but um i think i think you definitely need things that go as they say beyond party lines i think mm-hmm. I think unity beyond party lines is something that needs to very much be. If it, if it's not commonplace, right? Yeah. Then I think you're. That's where you always get, you get struggle, right? Because then it, then it becomes like. Well, like more to, fractured than. To it has give to you be, an example, there's a Scandinavian country. I can't remember who. I think it's Sweden, uh, or Norway, or something like that. But they have five leaders. They don't have one prime minister. They voted in five because they all got equal votes. So they basically made a five-party system so into the, an actual government. So they have five prime ministers. And do they get things done? And they get things done. That's they're, good. They're the youngest elected prime ministers of all time. They're all under 30. And it's like like that. That is like 100% our no, gender. Like that's, our generation. The way you, that's the way you do it, right? Yeah, and I think that we need more systems that are balanced so that you can have everybody has a say and everybody has a vote. Because you look at our system and or, or the, the states as well, it's like when – I mean, the states is a very different system, shall we say, yeah. because because the, the way, um, you know, like you can have one party in charge of this, one party in charge of that. I think ours is a little yeah. more like whoever's in charge, especially the majority, just kind of do what if they want. If it's a majority, if it's a minority, like we have, well, minority, like, they have to work a little bit more. A little bit more, yeah. It, it, in this particular my minority government that they have now, I think they do have to work more because even though technically ideologically, um, they're more like some of these parties are very similar. I think they're not as willing to make certain compromises as per se. So I think they still have to work more, which I think in general sometimes mm-hmm. is a good thing. Um, I think compromise, a lot of people feel, and this is where I think the extremism comes from, is that people are unwilling to compromise on what they believe. And that there's so many people that are unwilling to compromise on what they believe is that they're ostracizing the people who do. Or and ostracizing the people well, who have another extreme, or even the person that's willing to compromise. They're like, "Oh, why are you compromising? You must be one of them, right?" Exactly. Um, and, and it's like I know group so many think and uh, tribalism and that, all that, yeah. right? So. And that's and that's I know so many people that are moderates that get accused of being of of extremist right by the left and extremist left by the right, and like, it's just like, uh, no, like there are people who have this middle ground, and I think. I think if Socrates was alive today, he'd be questioning all the all the political I think leaders. Socrates would get killed. And I think Socrates would get assassinated very, very <laughs> once fast. again in his let's, rebirth. Let's be real. Like if Socrates, oh, that's that's a good uh, TV show. Yeah, Socrates returns. Socrates returns. But like, probably don't isn't. don't have him be like 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 the old Socrates. Have him be like you mean Christ. <laughs> okay, but I, no, no, I meant like don't have him look like Socrates, like an ancient Greek, but have him have like a man the, the experience. Of okay, I know what you're talking about. There's a, there's a, I think there's a show coming out now where it's like Jesus come back comes yeah, back it's and called Savior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the sense of like Socrates comes in, 
and um the guy the guy has the experience of the past life but maybe mm. isn't like too like you almost make it a little more less like crazy like this person's just living, living the regular yeah. life and then like it essentially would be a tv show producer trying to get into the mind of socrates of like how would he would interact with a modern i don't mm. know i think there's something there there's right? a there's definitely books written by people like peter kruft that are have socrates talking to to the modern modernists and stuff like that and i think that this idea of having an ancient greek philosopher like socrates here is interesting but at the same time the disconnect is so huge because there are so many things we have now that we didn't have then and it would be very difficult to actually have it work in a way that wasn't laughable i think i think i think it would have to be modern enough maybe not even do it as socrates but have something as questioning as like as a socrates kind of figure um and i think that is possible but i think that's what skeptics i think that's that's where people that are skeptics believe that they are i think that people that are skeptic like skeptic people actually believe that they are modern socrates Mm. yeah and and listen i have nothing wrong with skepticism i just think they tend to fall to cynicism too much for my liking yeah um but there's definitely a needed place for that and if you talk about that pendulum as well right you always want opposing viewpoints so they can kind of argue out and find somewhere in the middle but you want to find middle ground i think there's i think that i I think at the the bulk of what we're saying is we there are 80 percent of people are moderates i think a large percentage of people need to learn to dialogue i just think that my myself included don't know how to dialogue properly because uh we're we're too willing to give our opinion and not listen exactly um this is so interesting this is an antidote but um Ante- no, wrong word. Uh, and and an- anecdote. Anecdote. Yes. Anecdote. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, just. Um, but I always said that that I think as a person, as I've grown, changed and stuff, and uh, I've become a lot more outgoing in the sense of, or I guess it's learnt. It's almost like learnt extra vertism. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um. In 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 the case where it's like, oh, I've learned that it's fun, and I I do like wh- who I've become, who's in general i find myself like i do enjoy like like going out and whatever but uh i think at the heart i still need to like recharge from time to time you know um but my point was getting is that in in learning to be more expressive and learning to to talk in public places and learning to um discuss and talk about random things right um there's a sense of who i was before that that i guess i don't know if i i miss um but there's maybe and I think I've talked about it before, but this is part. If this, this the fact that we had our conversation previous might actually make this more poignant, or mm-hmm. um, it might make it. Uh, it might make more sense, shall we say? Because because I think sometimes I'll try to explain this, and people are like, like they don't get what I mean. But I'm like, when I was in grade eleven, when I was in grade ten, when I was a lot more shy of a person, right? And maybe maybe back then I didn't the difference is back then i didn't have that ability maybe to go out of myself and be more expressive but what it did give me is the ability to listen to what a lot of people had to say a lot more because mm-hmm. i wasn't so up and ready to talk a lot right um and so now it's i guess trying to find that middle balance of um i can talk a lot i can be expressive i can mm-hmm. you know do all those things but when it's time to listen to kind of be like okay now i have to physically stop myself and listen to it right what, what other people are saying yeah um and it's it's so interesting to me because it's like i think my nature my nature that it was back then as i'm going through those high school years was a lot more um 
the parts I didn't like was the fact that if when there was time to talk, when there was a time to speak up, I didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the parts that I did like was the fact that I would listen. So it's always like this kind of, you know. <laughs> it's also maturity too, right? Like I think mm-hmm. I think as you get older, uh, I think all of us have to mature in some way or another. But I think as you get older, uh, you mature and you learn to listen better. And it's not even necessarily you listen more as a kid. It's when you get older, you actually have the value. You know the value of listening. Mm-hmm. And you kind of learn the value. You've learned the value of listening and how to listen over time. And that's just experience. I think that I've definitely gotten better listening the last 10 years, even from being, you know, like in my, my late teens to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, learning to listen and then able to have uh authentic kind of response to what the person is saying um and actually having input that's not just your own opinion but also listening to what that person is saying is important Mm -hmm. um and i think that's just something that comes with age and time i think Mm -hmm. that that's just something that happens over time if you work at it and i think i think you definitely have because god knows you know like we've known each other a while and god knows both of us were pretty immature when we were younger you know like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where there's definitely maturity with age and um, I do think that uh, you learning to be outgoing is is good. I think mm-hmm. that's a great thing. I had the opposite effect where there were points where I wasn't having a lot of time with people because I was sick and I became way too introverted. Mm-hmm. So trying to relearn how to come out of myself and listen, but actually be there and not trying to shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the. I think it's it's different with everybody. No, and I'm sure people go through swings, and and I. Oh, yeah. I think more than anything, I like pointing it out because when I do point out, I think about it and it means next time I'm having a conversation and I might be stepping over people too much, I'll start to pull back. So yeah. I, I think that's why I actually enjoy mentioning it multiple times because it's just a reminder because sometimes you just, yeah. it's because I, I am really good if, if like I am tripping over someone who's like, okay, sorry, like I, I'm talking over you, you go, right? Oh bad, Which yeah. literally, literally that sentence, people might not read it, but let me repeat it. Uh, I may have been talking over you, my bad, or something along those yeah. lines is so underrated because um, even if, if even if you realize that your nature is that you're talking over people, at least the person that's there in the conversation, even if they're still slightly annoyed because you're probably still going to dominate a lot of the conversation, <laughs> yeah. at the very least, they feel like they're um, that you 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 um, you've been like listen like this is my nature right now and i'm really into the story and i'm sorry i'm talking so much right you're telling them i respect that you have something to say and yeah and try to say it now because i'm probably going to talk over you in a second yeah. <laughs> but but at least they, they have the feeling of, of being like okay like they this person knows that there's some fault that per, per, perhaps on their side but uh I think I feel I feel like you'd feel a lot better getting at least hearing that than someone yeah. that's constantly constantly talking over you but never brings it up, right? Because yeah. it's a difference between like, oh no, I'm important and I should be talking over, and it's like, sorry, like this is sorry, I'm trying to stop. I just really yeah. want to talk. Right now. You know? I'm really bad at this. I've got no social skills. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. So there's some yeah. acknowledgement of that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. Okay, so did uh. How much do we end up talking about Aristotle? We talked uh, a little bit about it. Um, I don't. Let's finish out with some final th- Aristotle. Yeah, thoughts. I think the final thing with Aristotle is very much. I I definitely don't know enough about him to talk too much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, Aristotle is one of those people you can spend decades of your lifetime studying and still not understand him. Um, I'm not a master student by any means, mm-hmm. and uh, but I think Aristotle really had this idea of the soul being in the person, mm-hmm. and I think that. 
uh, people like Aquinas would obviously take that. Oh yeah, and further turn it into that Christian and turn it lens, Christian, right? from the Christian lens. Have the idea of having uh, three souls, having the vegetative soul, I believe it is the animal soul and the rational soul. Yeah, that's, these, that's beyond me. And uh, so you have the idea of you have plants that have a soul because they're alive, but mm-hmm. it's very limited in what they can have like understanding because mm-hmm. they don't have a rationality. Then you have animal souls that still have a oh, okay, okay. No, no, now I'm back. I, I remember then, learning and, this in uh, And they're kind history. of there, like they're, they do have emotions and things, things like that, but they're not at the level of say a human who is a fully rational mm-hmm. being, um, which a lot of people actually have objection to now. Cause I think a lot of people believe that animals have a lot more of the soul than we used to. Interesting. Um, yeah. Because, and they don't mistreat the because that's the whole thing about animal abuse and stuff, stuff like that, right? Is that they have, is that you should not mistreat them because they're actually a higher being than what we what we treat them as. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that uh, at an Aristotelian level, uh, all things have some level of soul for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, would you would you did, does does Aristotle ever attribute that to anatomic objects? Uh, good question. I can't actually remember. I'm pr- I think he talks about soul as the animating principle. So, so in th- order for something to have life, it is it has to have uh, the anima, because mm-hmm. that's where the word an and animating comes from mm-hmm. anima, right? Yeah. So we never hear it. But that's where, and, yeah. as opposed to Plato, who says, "Oh, when you die, you'll be separate from your form, and your form will, you know, escape." He says they're in they're inseparable. That even when the thing dies, it no longer has a soul because it's dead and mm. you can't actually physically separate them. That would, that would not make any sense to Aristotle. Um, it just is the animating thing that animates that mm-hmm. in the animating principle that animates all, all things. Right. So it's, I think at a point of he, he was definitely more, if you want to put if, if more of a pre, I don't want to say it's not pragmatic the word. The word I'm looking for is, um, uh, it was the one we were looking for. It's more of oh, something you can use in everyday life. It's very much more, practical Pract- thank you that's but it's more practical mm. because it's more saying well that thing has life because it has the thing that makes it li- makes it live yeah that's okay so i guess i guess in and in, in, i guess life force or energy that animates it if we're thing. looking at practicality right in in some sense you can say okay well if we all have this anima the conscience then, some people will call it consciousness yeah, right yeah i i won't use that word because i feel like it might be a disservice to what aristotle the time oh, would have thought you know what yeah. i mean because <laughs> the, the the interpretation of that word in a modern context is just so vastly different from yeah. what, anything that historically could have been thought of at the time and not not to say like i think this is another thing we need to think about it's like yes they had less information than us but i don't think necessarily what they thought was less wise well no um because if, if you were in that context of that yeah. time um you know a lot of their thinking while some of it may have been just more of a whim, it's like this is what I've mm-hmm. tended to. This is this just kind of divulges this is what I ended up thinking. Yeah. Um, there's nothing to say that like. Uh, I think a lot of times people, especially in history, will think like, "Oh, we're so much smarter than the people 100 no, years ago." No, we're not. Ever, like I think humanity, really as much as we change, we we stay the same in many ways, right? Um, and it, I think. Like you can't you can't argue that technology has definitely changed us in a way that's yeah. e irreversible in some yeah. sense. Um, so it's it's something that we have to contend with that probably previous generations didn't have to contend with. But it doesn't mean that we're necessarily wiser. Like perhaps if we have that Socrates. Figure. I mean, mm. this is where. Uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. But I think this is where 
I agree to the point that uh, technology, the age of technology is something that's very, very different. But at the same time, it, it's no more different than the wheel, the invention of the wheel or the invention of um, uh, the viaducts mm-hmm. and things and, like that. Right. Like it's still it's still very much impacted us as a society. I, I would argue that the difference is that the reign of invention is so vastly yes. oh, yeah. faster Absolutely. than anything. So the ability for a human to change from one to the next is Innovation different. has been so fast in the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where people now have the argument that it's going to slow down at some point. I think a lot of people say, I don't think we can keep this rate up of innovation. Um, well, okay. Like if, right. if we take a faster computer, well, it just becomes like... Like... I. The point is, like, what's the purpose of the innovation? If it's the purpose of just having a faster computer, well, you can always add more hardware. Like, you know, (laughs) you can always add more hardware, but the software can't always keep up, or vice versa, right? Uh, Because you you could, no, no, but my point is, you can always run a program at 0.000 seconds back. Like, you know, like, like, it's, it's, at that point, it's useless innovation. But that's ad absurdum, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. where you're taking it to its, its absolute absurdity. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, um i think that's the whole the whole prospect of modernity versus before people like oh well you know we didn't have vaccinations and we didn't have like uh ways to beat the common cold back then people were dying of things that are preventable now so we're smarter well no because at that time uh if you could read or write you were smarter than the average person Mm -hmm. it's like it's the it's very much it's i hate using this word but it's subjective to the time Mm -hmm. in terms of that um, I really think that well, each mm-hmm. each era has its own benefits and its own flaws to its thinking, right? Well, I would establish that people who tend to be more intelligent, if they haven't grown up with the wisdom to use that intelligence, then in some ways they're a more destructive force than a dumb, wise person. There's so. a difference between wisdom and intelligence, mm-hmm. and that's where intelligence is null is is under intelligence is you know, information, whereas wisdom is the applicability of that information. That's why, like, you can argue with someone about their worldview and you're like, oh, like, they got stuck in this or whatever. Um, And I guess this is a a little bit of counterpoint to Socrates in that sense. But, um, you know, that person has lived 40, 50 years and has had that time to acquire wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. And, like... Socrates was old and he was wise. He wasn't intelligent. Mm-hmm. He was, he couldn't yeah. read or write. Right? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so like, do you dismiss that person's whole life experience as, well, you're not intelligent, you know? So, so therefore like your opinion shouldn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is just, which is very much a, uh, I want to say ivory tower kind of mentality mm-hmm. of the academic, the academic world these days is very much either you're in academia and you have written papers and you have published works or your ideas mean nothing. Uh, one of the things that drove me crazy about university is people who would say, well, you're not a master student. So your ideas don't actually count until you write a paper on it or you write a thesis on it. It's like, you're just a bachelor's that's, you can't have any mind like, mind-blowing ideas at least in philosophy philosophy is very much don't write don't write an individually written paper don't bring up your own ideas people have been around for much longer than you have to wait until your masters <laughs> and that that just drives me nuts well it, it does too right because like it, like i understand there's a certain lens in in, in uh, higher education where it's like you should have this much wealth of knowledge before exactly. you go into it yeah. and you know like um but I think it's a disservice, and this is what you call a callback, um, to ruin someone's curiosity. Yeah. 
um, because that curiosity is usually, even if they are completely, and I mean 100% wrong, it's better that they go into that, you say, you write this paper and I will take a look at it or at least discuss the ideas, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Then, you know, let me not never touch it in the first place because yeah. then it, you're just dissuading invention and then you're you're just putting people in a box. Um, and I think it's a disservice. Okay. I think, I think this went significantly better than I thought it would. Not that I thought it would be bad. No, 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 not that I thought it would be bad. Um, but I like going to places I don't expect. Yes, yeah, And I like having to, I think when I'm talking really fast and a lot and bringing a lot of energy, it means that I've already have a pre- I've already had the thought and then I'm just talking, you know what I mean? Like, let's just say yeah. we're, when we did our last review, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I can talk to you uh, how I felt about the campaign. Cause there's not really much to think about. It's just like, yeah. this is my reaction. This is my thoughts. This is the that data. Yeah. This is the data. Right. And I love when I can go into a conversation and it's not just, I need to think about my words. I have to think about um, what I'm trying to get across because yeah. it, it, it requires the thought as opposed to just, um, just spiel that you've already heard before yeah. i think this might be an interesting I, I know we're still going but like i'm, I'm pretty intrigued by the conversation and i love that and now i thought of this um the uh and then i lost it this isn't good you know what um <laughs> that moment where you have like oh this would be a great topic to discuss and then he disappears yeah um what is that in philosophy? Is there is there something like that in philosophy? Uh, if there is, I forgot, which is ironic. <laughs> um, you know what? I, it, I that that might actually be a good ending point. I think I think, I think so. we've done a thing. If there is, I forgot um, a philosophy to live by. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I hope I hope all of you enjoyed it. Um, mm. I'll I'll add the uh, the Twitter and the email and the in the bio description of the show. So if anyone wants to tweet us any questions, if you have any thoughts on the show um you can email or tweet whatever you feel more comfortable with um this this has been great um man i i always love this kind of conversation and just you don't know where it's going it gets there and we kind of started with the socrates uh sorry the 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 pre-socratic socrates plato aristotle but we went all over the place and mm. we hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as we did yeah. and with that um next week will be the uh i like to call it uh the show show not that it'll be um necessarily better than than this one um because i know this one's gonna be hard to top but um uh it'll be it will be a a my best attempt at a historical work shall we say um to get you kind of caught up to more history so if you're more interested in battles and um i think what i'll do next week is uh i will take a i think last time i took like a more generalized approach i think for next week what i'll do is it'll be per mission i'll be like literally what is the history going on in this mission as opposed to a more general one and uh hopefully you enjoy and it'll just be me on that one so uh um because i think we we get lost in this awesome we, you know what happened we we do that we if we did the history show we'd, we'd go on a ramble like this and then um three hours later i would enjoy it definitely and i think it'd be interesting but the part of me that wants to be like no i want to make something that's a little more structured you know what i mean mm-hmm. would be like ah, oh, <laughs> great conversation but i also wanted to make the structured thing yeah. um yeah 
just for reference, maybe this I'll tell you now because part of the idea for this was I was uh, kind of tinkering with the idea of um, doing a master's in history. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I kind of bring up the history and the reason I kind of want to make it more, I guess, academic, shall we say, um, or structured, shall we say, is that, uh, you know, maybe I'll use a portfolio at some point and be like, hey, like, listen to this whole thing. So um, I guess that's the reason that show is structured that way. So that's the mm-hmm. one part um, I won't plan on changing as as you saw this week this was definitely a departure from the usual um but i think it's a good departure um there was actually a reddit comment when i when we posted the last episode Mm -hmm. um that was saying uh the (laughs) is it only like do you only review campaigns in history and like no i'm not i'm like i'm open to other stuff and other ideas um i think the history one i'll always keep because like i said like there there is I want to have a body of work where, where I see myself kind of going through this historical stuff and be like, okay, this is what I talked about. And then um, hopefully get better as they go on. You know what I mean? Cause I, mm-hmm. the first one I thought was okay, but it was like my first historical one. I'm like, I could have done much better. So I'm hoping this one improves and then eventually mm-hmm. it becomes like a more academic, shall we say, or, or entered academic and entertaining. I'm trying to get both those ends, you know, as much as I can. Um, yeah, but but uh, to that person um, who who was on the Reddit and was was messaging, um, if you have any ideas, please f- you know feel free to email or shoot us a Twitter message, and I'll uh, reply as quickly as possible. Because you know if you have some you know great idea for the podcast and you enjoy it, then uh, I'm here to listen. All right, uh, <laughs> my spiel's done. Uh, I hope all of you have a great week, Matt. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, no, this this is great, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Blah.